first, I want to apologize for not releasing an episode last week. Um, I've been uh, a little ill and had to uh, go to some medical appointments uh, over the last uh, couple weeks, uh, so I've been a little bit uh, distracted, so I apologize for that. I do enjoy doing this podcast and uh, wish I had more time in the day to, uh, to get everything done, so apologize for that. But hopefully this episode will make up for it. I know you guys are going to like this one. But before we get into it, I have to talk about our sponsors because they help us keep this show going. So as always, our main sponsor for Season 2 is going to be Modus Nation. Ben and Lindsay doing awesome work. Ours release new stuff. I know I just checked the other day. They have some new hats and shirts that just came out, which look awesome. So please check them out. Go to ModusNation.com. Buy some stuff. Christmas is coming up. You know you need some new shirts. And even if you don't, just buy some shirts anyway. Please support them. They're doing doing an awesome job. They're releasing some great stuff. And if you, in case you don't know, they do an awesome amount of charity work. They're always looking for new ways to contribute. They're always looking for ways to help out other companies. They're always contributing to different charities, whether it's a veteran charity or whether it's a local charity in their area. They're really generous with their time and with their resources, so please uh, support them. They're definitely one of those companies that, that deserve it. And also, they were generous enough to give us a promo code, and that is nothing owed. So you can use that code on the ModusNation.com website for a special discount. So please uh, help them out, support the show, and buy some shirts, buy some gifts. Uh, I know you won't be disappointed. And next uh, sponsor I'd like to talk about is going to be Winfield Watch. Uh, Mark Winfield's doing an awesome job. Uh, he just released another new watch. Uh, it's an automatic field watch. Very cool. Um, if you're into watches and you know automatics are... Generally preferred over quartz, even though I have a quartz uh, Winfield, which is awesome, and it keeps amazing time. So I wasn't a huge fan of quartz watches, but uh, seeing how how accurate they are and how easy it is to use, I think I'm a convert. So whether you get the quartz or the automatic, the Winfield watches are awesome. Great designs, very durable. Mark's a good guy. He's really, really providing an awesome product, awesome service. Again, another company you won't be disappointed with, so please, uh, please check out Winfield Watch. And then last two real quick, I have to talk about Grind Ops Coffee. Aaron, another awesome guy. We had him on the show as well. He's doing an awesome job with his coffee. You know, in case you haven't heard, he's actually doing the roasts. Uh, he's actually providing coffee to you that, number one, is fresh, but also, two, it's not just a rebag uh, cup of coffee from, you know, a warehouse. He's actually picking the beans. He's selecting the roast. He's giving you the best coffee that he can, and it's it's awesome coffee. Um you won't be disappointed. He's a former uh, former law enforcement officer, former canine officer, really good guy, competitive shooter, starting a new company. So he's he's really killing it. And also too, he is a, a huge supporter of charity. He has a canine charity that he supports. So please uh, please check uh, Grind Ops Coffee out and check out the charity on their website, grindopscoffee.com. So please check them out. Um, Aaron Meza, Grind Ops Coffee, awesome dude. And last but not least, since the holidays are coming up, I want to talk about. Uh, cranky veteran candles excuse me <laughs> cranky veteran candles um, check them out they're good people they're also a huge supporter of various charities and if you're looking for candles cranky veteran candles are really the only ones to get simply because they are about the highest quality candle you can buy made with natural materials that are non-toxic so you are completely safe to uh, burn these candles in your house you're not going to get allergies you're not going to be breathing in toxic smoke like you will from most of the other big box candles. So Cranky Veteran Candles, they always come out with new new scents, new types of candles. Uh, you're supporting a veteran. So please check them out. I know they, they definitely appreciate it, but they are making an amazing product. And that's that's what we like to focus on. You know, we don't we really don't like to talk to people that are just, you know, selling a product from from China. We we really like to focus on the people that are, you know, making products themselves, you know, people that are contributing to the community. And you know, Cranky Veteran along with, you know, Grind Ops and you know Winfield Watch they do exactly that. You know, they're starting their business. They're providing a product that isn't just some, you know, off the shelf generic product that you can get anywhere. They're actually providing a, a great product or a great service. So please check out these companies, especially with Christmas coming up. And about the show this week, we talked to Joe Kemp, who's running for Washington's third district, third congressional district. He's an awesome guy. He actually has a, a really awesome story and he's in the midst of his campaign. He's actually running in the, in the primary against another Republican. So he, he's very busy, but he was very generous with his time to, to come and talk to us. Um, he really epitomizes everything we talk about on the show, and he's actually going into politics to try to make a difference. 
you know, we, we try not to get uh, political on the show, but we can appreciate people that give back to their community in whichever way they choose. And, you know, one of the great things about speaking of Joe, not only is he a veteran, he served as an Army Ranger, served as a Green Beret, eventually became a contractor for the CIA. So he has a really amazing story. And we we really struggled with the time that we had because there's so much we wanted to talk about. So we're hoping to have Joe back on the show again because he he has he's done so much in his life, but we really wanted to give him a chance since he is running for office. We we did talk more about some of the more current issues, you know, more so than we, we normally do. And we wanted to give him a platform to kind of talk about what he felt was important. So this episode may be a little bit different than you're used to. Um, you know, it was really, like I said, it was really a challenge for us to to try to fit in everything that we wanted to talk about. Um, so we, Joe has an open invitation after he wins his election to come back and, and talk to us some more. But uh, like I said, he, he really epitomizes everything. He's He spent his entire life giving back to his community and to the country in one way or another. And he's he sacrificed a lot in the process. So it, um, like I said, it, it, was, it was a little bit of a challenge. We wanted to be respectful of his time, but we also wanted to give him the opportunity to kind of, to, um, to speak about how he's going to change uh, Washington when he gets there. So uh, the show may be a little different, like I said, but I know you're going to enjoy it. Ben and I had a great time speaking to Joe, and we actually um, probably could have done another two hours easily with with Joe. So hopefully he'll come back in the near future and we can uh, continue our conversation. But anyway, I think this is a great episode. I know you're going to like it. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to myself and Mr. Joe Kent so he can uh, tell us about himself. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Old Podcast. As always, we have another awesome guest for you this week. And this guest is is really special. And you're going to find out why here in a a couple minutes. But uh, just real quick, we have uh, Joe Kent who is actually a Green Beret and is running for uh, Washington District 3. Uh, so he is uh, actively campaigning for political office. He is a veteran, and he really is just another guest that really epitomizes everything we talk about on the show. And not only has he served the country in the military, he is now trying to serve the country uh, in politics, which is awesome. And we like what he stands for. We like what uh, what he has to say. So we wanted to bring him on the show, give him a chance to kind of tell a story and uh, tell us what uh, he's going to do for the country. But uh, before I turn it over to Joe, let's uh, turn it over to Ben real quick, say hi, check in with him, and see what's going on. So, Ben, how you been? What's new? Pretty good, pretty good. Crazy week. seems like things just, it's a constant uh, battle uh, out in the economy today. And, you know, things change and pivot quickly and seems like we can't get stuff in the stores or whatever, but it, it never ends. But uh, that's why I'm excited to talk to Joe. I think Joe's going to, make a difference where he's from. I think, uh, you know, I've read, um, you know, a lot of his, his material and, and what he stands for. Um, and I wish we had more, more guys like him running, um, in some of these, these political offices. And, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a Republican or Democrat. I'm more of a constitutionalist. Our listeners know that. Um, but everything that Joe seems to stand for is what I believe in. So, um, you know, freedom and, and, America first and, you know, protect our borders and, you know, top to bottom, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as Joe is. So I'm excited. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Very cool. I'm totally agree with you. So uh, I don't want to keep uh, Joe on the line too long because I know his time is valuable. So I'm going to turn it over to Joe, if you don't mind, tell our audience uh, maybe a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and then uh, definitely want to hear about how you got into politics and what made you, um, uh, choose that route and also want to talk about your, your military career. So Joe, it's all yours. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on guys. So um, my background, I pretty much wanted to join the military as far back as I can remember. I don't know if that's a combination of like too much GI Joe and 18 growing up or, <laughs> or, or what put that in my head. I'm not really from a military family. Obviously my grandparents both served in world war II, but uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon originally, which is like the most non-military place you can grow up. So I tell people, if you want to rebel in Portland, Oregon, you enlist in the army right out of the military. That's like the most rebellious thing you can do. So that's basically what I did. I was pretty inspired um, as I started learning U S history, just about people from, um, from, 
you know, our communities that would go forward and fight in every war while people enjoyed peace back here uh, in the States. So that kind of was the patriotic part of it, but there's also a big adventure factor there too. When I was about 13, the Black Hawk Down incident happened. When, and I think that was like the first modern combat that was really brought up close and personal to uh, Americans in their living rooms because the whole cable news network thing was kind of new then. And so we saw this savage combat, Americans getting drugged through the streets of uh, Mogadishu. And I went to the army recruiters, even though I was only 13 then, and said like, who are those guys? Like, how can I do what they're doing? And uh, they were like, hey, those are army rangers. And, you know, you can you can get a ranger contract right out of, right out of high school. So when I turned 18, <laughs> returned 18 enlisted, went right in the army and uh, got a ranger contract, made my way into 2nd Ranger Battalion, which is uh, close to home, luckily, it's just up in Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, so that was, you know, kind of like a dream come true. I spent uh, about three years there, peacetime, this is pre 9-11, uh, just training, really setting a good foundation for soldiering uh, for me that really lasted me and I think kept me alive uh, throughout the years going forward. And then uh, I wanted to, I always wanted to be a Green Beret. I thought the Green Beret's mission was just really neat. They kind of got to do a little bit of everything, especially even when we were in peace. It's, it's hard to it's hard for people to remember right now, but in the late 90s, early 2000s, there hadn't been a war really since Vietnam. There had been these little conflicts that flared up. And so guys were guys could spend two decades about going to combat. And so I thought, OK, well, if I'm not going to get to go like to a war, I want to be as close to war as I can. And Green Berets are always kind of out there, you know, on the front lines in these not so war places, training people, working with people. So wanted to be a special forces guy. So summer of 2001, I went to special forces selection. My actual first day of uh, special forces selection was September 11th. Um, so after that, pretty much went right to the special forces Q course, which takes like a year, year and a half to get through. Um, and then went to fifth special forces group and pretty much spent the next eight years uh, deploying to Iraq. So we'd spend about anywhere between eight months, nine months in country, come home for, you know, six, seven months and then go back and do it all over again. So um, was there from 03, missed the ground invasion, um, but was there that summer and then pretty much was there literally until we pulled out in 2011. Um, after that, went to a uh, special missions unit. Um, that's where I met uh, my wife, mother of my children, um, spent some time there, did some more deployments, went back to Iraq and we reinvaded <laughs> Iraq for the whole ISIS debacle. Um, so I really, just, I couldn't get out of Iraq. It was, it was, that's kind of my career. Spent a lot of time in Iraq, a lot of time in, uh, in Yemen and then some time in Africa retired from the military in 2018. Um, I was pretty inspired to stay in the fight. Um, I had done a good job of avoiding any like real staff time in the military. Um, I went from being an enlisted guy on a special forces, a team, I was a weapons guy, switched over to special forces, Intel, and then volunteered to be a warrant officer. And so that gave me some more longevity on the team and then retired right at the 20 year mark and retired on a Friday and swore in um, as a CIA paramilitary operations officer uh, on a Monday in the, in the agency. Intended to make that my second career. Um, that was about two and a half years ago when my world kind of got turned upside down. Um, my wife, who I'd met, was also in the military. She deployed to go fight ISIS um, in 2018. And she was there when we took all the ground that ISIS held, uh, accomplished our mission. Trump attempted to get us out of Syria. Um, and that's when Jim Mattis, a bunch of other unelected bureaucrats, went against Trump, committed slow roll, and our troops ended up staying there. And then a month later, uh, my wife and three other Americans were killed by a suicide bomber in oh. Manbij, Syria. Mm. So Seriously. I, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, hey, so, man. Yeah. That's Thank you for that sacrifice. And I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I'm That, that breaks my heart. Yeah, thank you. No, it was obviously the hardest thing I've ever gone through, you know, still still going through it. You never really stopped going through it. Um, but we had two young children. They were uh, one and three at the time. Um, so I, I realized I had to kind of step away from deploying and getting shot at for a living um, and put my kids put my kids first. So uh, resigned from the military from the uh, from the agency. Um, moved my family back here to the Pacific Northwest. I had a brief opportunity at Dover when I was receiving my wife's remains to, to meet President Trump. I was a big supporter of the America First uh, foreign policy in particular because we were living living foreign policy and Trump got it right in a way that no other president had. He, he set clear parameters for what he wanted the military to do. And then once we reached those objectives, he tried to get us out of the war, something that Bush failed to do, something that Obama failed to do. And I was a strong supporter, but I saw from the DOD and from the intelligence community that senior level leadership, they had they disdained, they had a high disdain for President Trump and they had no qualms about going against his orders. That's what resulted what? in my wife getting killed. 
why do you think, I mean, and, you know, you've had some roles that kind of, you, you know, you're not the average Joe pulling guard duty, right? How, right? Why do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think there was such a disdain for his foreign policy? Cause I mean, in my opinion, I, you know, did Trump do everything perfectly? No. Cause should he got off of Twitter? Probably. But, <laughs> but, you know, if you really look at his policies, especially his foreign policy, Amen. Yeah. you can't you can't poke a hole at it. So why did why did our yeah. military leadership just have such angst against him? Yeah, I think there's a um, I, I think there's some nefarious side to it. I do believe the military industrial complex, the easiest way for them to take extract money from the taxpayers is to have these occupation nation building wars going along, decisively using military force and then leaving. That is not a payday whatsoever for the military industrial complex. It might be one or two paydays, but it's not a consistent paycheck. These occupation wars that we waged after 9-11, that was a massive paycheck for them. So I do think there's a nefarious factor to that, but I do think there's also a lot of pride. There's a lot of people in the DC beltway that worked their way up past a certain rank. We all know in the military, you're a politician, the CIA, the state department's no different. The easiest way to survive in that environment is really not to be a Republican. It's not to necessarily be a Democrat, although I would say you'd be left-leaning. It's to be a statist. It's to think that the institutions are always right. And so the, what would be seen as nefarious is wanting to stay in these wars for financial gain really just becomes a reverence to experts, a reverence to bureaucrats. We have to always be differential to Mad Dog Mattis because he just knows so much. Don't you know the guy reads a lot of books? I mean, even though he was never successful, global war on terror, none of these strategies were successful, we have to be deferential to him and Petraeus because Petraeus is a Rhodes Scholar. You know, I, I think that culture right there actually trumps any kind of real strategy. And President Trump really ruffled them the wrong way because he called a spade a spade. He said what most Americans were too polite to say, but were thinking. When he came in there in the primaries and he took apart the Republican foreign policy establishment by saying that George Bush was an idiot, he got Iraq wrong, he got us wrong, and then he went after Obama and said, hey, you got you said you were going to get us out of here. You were going to be the anti-Bush. You're even worse than Bush because you let the terrorists take over the whole region. You invaded a whole new country. So I think there was a lot of people there, and he he didn't pay any reverence whatsoever to our intelligence community because you know after 9-11, our intelligence community had multiple black eyes. There was rightful criticism, and I'm from the intelligence community. There was rightful criticism to make of the IC, and everybody was too polite to say it, but Trump would say it, and he was right. And so I think there was literally, when you really boil down to it, there was a lot of hurt feelings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, that's one thing about Trump that I actually enjoyed was his. Mm -hmm. You know, he said a lot of things that most of us are thinking, you know, but nobody, you know, the media is not going to say it, you know, your, your, your blue bloods aren't going to say it, you know, yeah. and it, it just, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I think, I think his lack of being a politician, a career politician and his lack of, you know, while, while it was good for him to have, you know, no care in the world, like this is what we should be doing. These are the clear focused objectives that also kind of hurt him, I think, a little bit. You know, he couldn't get too much support from even his own party at times, you know, um, the Mitt Romneys of the world. And, you know, I don't know, sometimes I, I look at, at that guy and go, really? Like, we almost had him as a president, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could, I, I could never stomach Romney. I was a Ron Paul guy after after dealing with the Bushes. I became kind of a Ron Paul fan, and yeah, I don't, I don't regret that whatsoever. Seeing what Mitt Romney became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and our listeners know this, but I, you know, I I grew up kind of in a Republican conservative home, you know, and and voted Republican for a long time because that's what my dad did, right? And then as I joined the military and saw the world, and you know, grew up, you know, I I am more of a constitutionalist. Like I believe in freedoms. I believe that you have the right to, to do what it is. Do you, I'm going to do me. We may disagree, but that's okay to disagree. And, and I think Trump was kind of in that, that mold, but nobody likes that up in Washington. DC well, punching through. I mean, I think he was just punching through a lot of the establishment, obviously on the foreign policy, like we discussed the same thing with trade. I mean, he came in and said, we're getting these horrible trade deals. And when he was doing that, he was basically saying that everybody that cut the, the globalization deal, Republicans and Democrats, that they had really sold us out. They had cut a crappy deal. And that that cut into a lot of people's bottom line. But it also, I think, just really hurt a lot of feelings. A lot of people had a lot of their 
and their professional reputation staked on these ideas. And even though they had all but failed, everybody that was in those circles, all the same Wall Street guys would just say like, oh yeah, it's the most brilliant thing ever to offshore all of our manufacturing. There's example after example of where Trump and, and what the America First movement was really trying to do was just brushing up against this massive wall of corporate permanent ruling class, you know, permanent government, even the military industrial complex like we talked about. They were punching through that and, and the, the machinery, the system and the media is part of that we're just in an all out revolt, whatever it took to bring the guy down, you know, whether that was the Russian well, dossier, whether that was what happened with the election, because the last thing they wanted was the American people in the room, in the deal, knowing they were getting screwed. Yeah. Well, I mean, take a look at where we're at now. Everything that the media mm-hmm. told us Trump was going to be, that's what we have now. You know, we live in a third, wow. we're literally a, we're a month away from living in a third world country. You can't get there. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get, I mean, I work at a screen printing and embroidery shop um, and we spent two weeks trying to find ink to print shirts. Can't find ink. We're wheeling and dealing, you know, and then the t-shirts we order and the garments we order, it's one day they're in one day they're out. I mean, this is America, you know, (laughs) like we shouldn't, yeah. yeah, we shouldn't be in target worried about, you know, it's America. We shouldn't be worried about whether or not we can get toilet paper. It's, it's you know, insane. That's, that is a bigger problem that I don't think people realize. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. If you can crush the supply chain of a country, you can really yeah. crush their economy because when money stops changing hands, economies grind to a halt. And I'm afraid that a lot of this, I, I'm curious to what your thoughts are. How much of this do you think is intentional? And how much of this do you think is is incompetence? Because I, I personally, I, I think China has a lot to do with this. And I think there are a lot of foreign countries that are using this as an opportunity to take us down a peg or two. And if you can crush the American economy, you can bring us to our knees. So I, am I way off base on that? No, I think you're right. I mean, China's in an economic and information war with us. So number one weapon is the economy. I think we we should rightfully be worried about militarily what happens in the South China Sea with China testing these new nuclear weapons. But really, the main issue is the economy. And China has us exactly where they want us economically. And that's not like China maneuvered in this really clever way. It, this is the American elites on Republicans and Democrats going back to the normalization of China Act. We thought that it would be a net positive to ship all of our manufacturing lines over to China, that we we're in this new economic um, on-demand economy where you could build it and then have it to consumers very quickly. China could do it on the cheap because, hey, we'll just look the other way. The fact that China, how, how they're going to produce this stuff on the cheap, they're going to use slave labor. They have no issues, no qualms of doing that. They don't have any kind of labor laws like we do here in the States. So if you're in the in the corporate business, in the corporate realm, then it's cheaper for you to outshore or off, offshore all the manufacturing to China. We were told that was a good thing and that positive for us. And, and in some senses, the, the supply line thing could work. But the second a complex supply line like that gets one or two kinks in it, there's going to be a backup. So I think it had an absolutely catastrophic effect on what it did to our country. We simply don't produce anything here anymore. That's a national security issue. It's a major economic and moral issue. Like we we took away the ability for someone to leave high school and get a decent paying job that they can support a family on. And that has destroyed entire communities. That has absolutely just been the most brutal and cruel thing that we could have done to our people. But we still get told that like it's just some force of nature that we had to send all of our jobs over there. Not to mention what that what that's actually done to the American working class. But then from a national security perspective, it, it's common sense. We don't make anything anymore. And we're seeing that right now. And China could take all this down. And this is all done to, so that we can maintain this status as a prime reserve currency holder so that everybody exchanges hands with, with U.S. dollars and U.S. dollars back up all the banking systems. That's the same reason Biden killed off the Keystone Excel pipeline. I mean, he, he uses all the, the woke Green New Deal language for it. That's how he sells it to the Democrats. But really, he wants us to keep the petrodollars in circulation, which, again, that makes us absolutely vulnerable to the Gulf, the, the OPEC cartel, once again, like we're back yeah. in the 70s, you know, as opposed to just producing it all here in America. So I think we're in a position right now where China, if they wanted to, they could challenge our status as a prime reserve currency holder because they can rightfully look at America, make the case to the world and say, why are we allowing the U.S. dollar that these clowns in the Federal Reserve keep printing more of while they don't produce anything. America doesn't produce anything. They're just printing money. How about you guys all back up your banks with this yuan or a crypto yuan? And China actually has a compelling case to make with the way that they actually manufacture things, they produce things, the way that they've gobbled up all these strategic resources, raw earth minerals, all these different 
sports. Like they are playing the long game, playing for keeps. We're playing this game that treats our people, our, our actual working class, like this cog in the wheel that we just have to get over. And all the system does is benefit the top corporate elites. So I think we put ourselves in a miserable position. There's lots of factors right now with the, with the current crisis. China has its own housing bubble issue they're going through. They're having power issues that's affected production. And then in the States, we were dumb enough because we were ignorant enough that we thought that this system would last forever, that we have two main ports, Long Beach and LA. Right. And so the second there's an issue there, which California created by only allowing these brand new, what is it, uh, Green New Deal-esque um, emissions qualified vehicles to yeah. under the port. And then not to mention COVID and not to mention COVID vaccine mandates. And so now we have all these different issues. But I do believe China is exploiting all of it. Right. Right, right now, they they are strengthening their hands, just like when COVID broke out. Did China send it to us or did it escape? Who knows? But we do know that China benefited from it. We're playing reaction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think China's smart enough, even if they didn't release COVID, and that's a whole other thing. But even if they didn't release it, I think they're smart enough to go with the momentum, right? They yeah. If they saw what COVID was doing and they were smart enough and quick enough to use it to their advantage, regardless of if it was intentional or not. Yeah. And it. You know, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on too, and for, and for our listeners too, you know, when you talk about the military industrial complex, that system exists in every industry. And I know a little something about public service, government work, and, you know, specifically, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, but there are these massive bureaucracies within the government. And it seems to me that government is using any crisis they can, whether it's global warming or COVID or whatever, to just perpetuate bureaucracies. And there, there are some of these companies like Southwest Key that are exploiting the immigration issue. And if you look into these companies, they want more illegals to cross the border because they mm -hmm. get these massive government contracts on the back end. And what these people are doing is they're creating their own companies while they're running a nonprofit. The nonprofit takes in the government contract and then the nonprofit yeah. pays these other companies that are owned by the same people, exorbitant prices for services. And I was having a conversation with somebody one time who was had friends that were in Border Patrol and the Border Patrol agents were saying that the aliens that are coming to the border are telling the agents, well, you guys paid us $500 and said, go north. And I, I kind of was like, well, what do you mean? And the, what they explained to me was, the people in South and Central America basically were under the impression that the U.S. government was paying them in their country to come north. They're giving them 500 bucks. And I didn't really understand it until I kind of heard about this Southwest Key Company. And essentially, they get $10,000, $15,000 per person to administer to the aliens that are coming across the border. So if, from a purely business standpoint, if you get fifteen grand a person, you can cough up 500 bucks to somebody and say, hey, go to America. Because, and it's... And that's, regardless of what you feel about immigration, that's our tax money that's being grifted by the government. And whether it's going to Afghanistan or it's going to Iraq, or it, it, there's so much of that money out there that's just being taken out of our pockets and grifted. And it's like, we've got China to worry about. We have our own government to worry about. It's it's really overwhelming to when you start really digging into this stuff because it, it almost never ends. And for me, it, yeah. I, I like to know these things, but at the same time, it's like, it'll drive you nuts because it's once you're aware of it, you see it everywhere. It's crazy. And I don't know. I don't know how we stop it. I mean, I'd be curious. <laughs> do you think there's an end to this? I mean, what do you, how do you I think, think there, I think there has to be, because I think as of a, you know, there's countless examples of what you just outlined where the government has been lying to us. They've been taking our money. They've really been taking care of themselves. They've been taking care of the ruling class. And then we're the ones that are, are, are supposed to put it all on our shoulders, not just with our taxpayer dollars, but if it's the wars, it's the working class kids that go off and fight and they die. If it's immigration, yeah, that government apparatus you just described brings these people in. And what do those people do when they get here? I think most are rational people and they go and they work and they take away jobs from hardworking Americans. They undercut U.S. labor to put more people in this perpetual system where they need a COVID stimulus or they need this universal right. basic income or they need welfare. So it's just absolutely destroying our country. And there's example after example of where our establishment establishments have just lied to us. And so what I think we have to do 
is take back the House, take back the Senate, and just start laying things out for the American people. The Congress has a good deal of oversight uh, authority, and they need to start exercising it. And in places where there's massive amounts of lies, these narratives that have just been told to us, I mean, I think the election's a massive one because people have to have confidence in their election system, the origins of COVID-19. We've been lied to. Our lives have been absolutely destroyed by this, this virus. We've had businesses destroyed. Families are going through you know these crises of who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated. Yeah. The January 6th narrative, there's just so much, so many lies that have been told. Afghanistan, the, the America watched 20 years of lies come unraveling. Like We have to account for all this. And if we don't account for all this, the American people are going to rightfully say, why are we continuing to give these institutions so much power? There's a reason why Americans don't trust institutions anymore. It's because they they we know they've been lying to us. So I, I think accountability and sunlight is a huge is is basically the only way that we can save the republic. And it's going to be painful, but I think we're going to have to start accounting for all these things and holding these people's feet to the fire. And I, how would because my I agree with you 100 percent on everything you said. My fear is that Americans, for the most part are comfortably numb for lack of a better term. And as long as they go home and their TV turns on and they have, they can afford gas and there's food at the grocery store, people don't seem to be interested in a lot of these things because they don't understand how it affects them. And there's only so much time in a day. And I think people are distracted by whether it's nothing against Netflix, but you have the ability to, to (laughs) entertain yourself 24 hours a day and you can choose whatever information or entertainment you want at the click of a button. And while that's great, it's also dangerous because now your time is being consumed by nonsense. Or if you read 1984 prole feed, right. Which I think a lot of what this it's prole feed, if you read the book and I, I don't know how you, you snap people out of that without going through a really horrible event, you know, like another depression or another, you know, serious world war. I, I hope it's possible to do it, but I'm afraid, I don't know. I'm I'm afraid it may not be. I'm afraid we may need something to wake people up. I I think the only good thing that we can say about what's happened really since, since I think Trump came in and then COVID hit, I think in many ways, um, when Trump slipped through, because the Republican uh, apparatus wasn't organized enough to take out Trump, and then the Democrats didn't think that Trump had a chance in hell and he won, I think a lot of people on the right who were starting to wake up, they kind of went back to sleep because they thought that Trump was going to save everything. And I think he saved a lot. I think he did a lot of great things, but he's just one guy and he didn't have enough backup. And then we all saw him get, we saw COVID come in. We saw all these different narratives come in. We saw the mainstream media, big tech, who wants us addicted to Netflix and wants us able to check out on demand. We saw them all move in lockstep to do what they did to the election. And then now we're seeing all these things just come raveling apart. So I think the only good thing that's happened in the last year and a half is that people are waking up. And I think these vaccine mandates and what's going on in the schools is waking up families in a way that I don't think Americans could have gotten woken up without something you know much more drastic or tragic happening. Um, but the infringement on individual rights, our kids being masked, the, the vaccine mandates being put on people, take the vax, or you're going to lose your job. And now they just approved the vaccines for five to 11 year olds. So I heard that today. Know, yeah, it's people know, you know what's coming next. You know what's coming next. It's, it's going to be, hey, not only does your kid have to have a mask, it's going to be your kid is going to have to be vaccinated. Just depending on what state you live in, that's coming next. Washington State, we have an activist governor. He, he's going to do that in short order. I have, I have no doubt. But as horrible as all this is, I do think it's waking people up. And I think if we push hard and we wake up our neighbors and we make sure people are getting out and voting and they stay engaged in the system, we have a chance of saving the country. Now, if we if we don't win and we don't get our message organized enough and we don't reach out to enough of our neighbors and we don't and we aren't able to take back the House and take back the Senate, um, I'm, I'm not optimistic about where the country goes, because I think we're on the edge. I think we're at one of those moments where we're either going to save the republic or we are going to have to go through something very dark and very tragic to, to save the Republic, or, or we could just lose it because the one side has so much control over our lives. I mean, that's why the left is moving in such lockstep to go after American families, to go after the schools, to go after the children, because they have control of every other lever of power. And what yeah. they fear the most is strong, independent, I would even say faithful uh, Christian families, just, just living and having their own autonomy and sovereignty. So I think Right now is the, is the time for people to push hard if they're going to save the country because people should be should be um, awoken enough by what's going on right now. Yeah how how do we how do we convince people though to 
regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, how do we convince the average American that wants to wants our country to be different and be better um, that an election is real? How, how do I mean? I, I I mean I I have left leaning friends. I have clearly conservative friends. Um, I, to a T, I don't think any of them. They, I mean, everybody's kind of like, well, yeah, it doesn't matter if I vote anyway. They're going to pick who they want anyway. How do we, is there a message we can get out to, to convince people to get out there and like try to, I mean, is it lost or, or does it matter? I don't really say it does matter. I mean, the big thing that the, the machinery, the establishment wants you to believe right now is that it doesn't matter because they don't want independent minded. They don't want conservative. They don't want people who are going to question things. They don't want you turning out to vote because if we, if they can convince even a quarter of us not to vote, they win. They don't even have to rig anything. So don't give them what they want. Don't give into it. They also want us to be so frustrated. We say or do something stupid so they can turn the Department of Justice on us. Like like Garland was saying, there's domestic terrorists yeah. that show up to the, the school board meetings or January 6th. If you're near the Capitol, like now you're you're arrested and deprived of all your rights. So I would say don't buy into that. But also, I would say, look at what happened in Virginia. Look at what happened in Seattle. Look what happened. Look what's going on in New Jersey right now. When people are mobilized and we have a high percentage of people that actually turn out they can't steal all these elections at once. I, I think 2020 was kind of a flash in the pan. They had to steal the election from the top ticket. They had to, they had to change one vote um, and they had a massive apparatus of big tech, all work lockstep right now to cheat on the level that they would have to cheat on. They would get caught red handed. And if everybody turns out and votes and lets, lets them know they're watching, we have more engagement right now with people volunteering to poll watchers or people just showing up and having rallies around the polling sites. Um, I think that that's the, the the recipe for actually having fair and free elections. But our election system is very broken. Like here in Washington State, we've been doing unsolicited mail out ballots and Dominion tabulation machines for quite a while. So we are going to have to have, we're going to have to get good people in there that are actually going to tolerate adjudicating elections. Like I have no issues. I'm suing. I'm part of a lawsuit right now. It's suing for a full forensic audit in my county. And I've even I've said, hey, if I get elected the day after I get elected, I'm still pushing for a full forensic audit because right now there's just there's no faith in the system. If there's nothing to hide, then lay it all out for the American people. That's that needs to be the new standard because you're right. I mean, most people right now do think, you know, and they're not irrational for thinking this, that like, does it really matter if I vote? Like, haven't they already kind of picked the guy who's going to be, yeah. you know, yeah. Trump got through that one time and they're never going to let that happen again. You know, what happened with Bernie Sanders back in 2016, um, you know, most, I'd say most Sanders, most old school Bernie Sanders people like there, I think they were the first ones that said like the system's rigged, the fix was in. Well, dude, I know? mean, if anybody has a complaint, it's, it's Bernie Sanders. I'm not a, I, I don't like a lot of his ideas and policies, but I, I look at him and I go, man, that guy should have been on the Democrat ticket the last 20 years. He's he's more popular on the left than any of the people they've put up. But they get to that. What do they call that? The super PAC, you know, and all of a sudden they go, hey, Bernie, yeah. yeah, we're going to yeah. need you to uh, we're going to need you to step aside. It's it's Obama's turn or it's uh, uh, yeah. Mrs. Clinton's turn. You know, but, you know it's crazy. I wanna, I'd be, I'd be so I'd turn Republican if I was Bernie. I'd start being a Republican that believes in some socialism or something just to maybe he could win on a ticket. If you listen to Bernie on, on trade and on immigration before he went totally woke, like Bernie's 2016 and even before 2016, him and Trump, like the America first policies. I mean, he was talking about illegal immigration and open borders being a Koch brothers scheme to undercut working class wages. Like, yeah, I remember come that. Back, yeah. Bernie, like come back Bernie Sanders populist, man. I mean, yeah, same thing. He, he was talking about like manufacturing getting shipped over to China. Like there was a while there where the populist left and the populist right were saying the same things. That's where I think a lot of the woke doctrine and the CRT came in heavily to put them down because it's the easiest way to neuter a populist movement is to get them fighting amongst each other about crap like race, about crap like, oh, the patriarchy and get everybody chasing each other and canceling each other and not demanding accountability from the uh, class and the permanent ruling class. The saddest thing to me is, is that it, all of this pushed the political weaponization of of race, you know, race yeah. um, conflict. Right? They the second the Great guy gets in, the, the second the guy gets into office too, you you get this whole class of people or this whole race of people that vote for this guy, and he has done everything to negatively impact the black community. I'll say it. He he's neg everything he's done since he's been in office has negatively impacted the black community and they were a big part of why he won the election 
you know, all the media telling us that we should all hate each other and that Trump's a racist. There, you know, only one of the candidates candidates actually gave a eulogy at a KKK member's funeral. Um, and, and it wasn't Trump. So you tell me, you know, I, it, it's just it's it's sad to me that 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 happened and that race is used as a political weapon. It's unbelievable. They've totally forgotten about it. The whole Democrat Party and that whole machine has totally forgotten about the black, the you know, the black community in our country. Oh, we got we we won. Oh, yeah. In in three years, they're though, totally I guarantee yeah. you it'll come back up. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, I mean, really, they're not fighting for the working class. And they love the race thing because the most diverse uh, class that we have in America is the working class and to a certain extent, the middle class. So they want they they want that class heavily heavily divided. That's where the whole CRT thing comes in. That's yeah. why they always play the race card, and they have the media on their side to do it. So it's it's very you know it's very potent. But I I think a lot of those are really cracking. I think you're seeing a lot of a lot of minority communities are just like, hey, wait a sec. Under Trump, I was told that all this racist racist stuff was going to happen. It didn't happen, and like I had a job. I, my my wages went up. Like yeah. the, the, there was upward mobility. So I and I wasn't I, I being forced making, to get a vaccine, and my kids right, could yeah, go to exactly. school. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But what the left? As we're talking about this, the left is super organized, right? And they are in lockdown, oh, yeah. and they have their messaging just on point. And obviously, everything is the machine is aligned with the left. There's no doubt. Otherwise. All the horrendous things that Biden has said of the last 40 years would have been blasted on the TV every day. But why do you think the right and the Republicans, they don't seem to have a clear message as to why people should vote for them? And maybe it's changing, you know, this year and, you know, maybe going into 2022. But it seems to me that the right side has a message of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. You know, we adhere to the Constitution, we adhere to the Bill of Rights. You know, it's... It's our, they should be saying it's our job to protect the Bill of Rights because the Bill of Rights gives you rights that are inalienable, that can't be taken away by us. And that's a really amazing concept that it, it, see, it seems that it would appeal to everybody, but I don't see that coming from too many people on the right. And is it just they're not organized or do you think that there isn't the will to, to put up that fight? I mean, I'm curious, like the right always seems to be so disorganized. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? For far too long, I mean, there hasn't been much daylight between what DNC and the RNC like actually does. The DNC just does a much better job, like you said, of being on point with their messaging, being able to articulate what their vision is. The Republicans for a very long time, I think really going back to Bush, that they, they have been the party of essentially protest. Like the Democrats will do something and the Republicans will say, we don't like that. Vote for us because we don't like that. Mm -hmm. uh, socialism sucks. Uh, you know, this isn't the way it should go. So you should give us money. The Republicans for as long as I think I've been really politically active, the Republicans have really failed to articulate a vision for how they want the country to look. Like what, what is the Republican vision? If you listen to the like, corporate GOP talking points, it's we don't like the things the Democrats do. We are pro big business. We like giving corporate tax cuts. And they'll give you some quote from Ronald Reagan, who, you know, I like everybody likes Ronald Reagan. They'll give you a Ronald Reagan quote about trickle down economics. Um, and then the government staying out of people's lives. But that's not really a vision, especially when you have a, an opponent like the DNC who is willing to use pretty much every tool in the toolbox to drive towards the, the radical nature that they want the country, the, the amount of control they want over individual lives. This is another thing that um, Trump in his own Trumpy way, I think, was one of the first Republicans to really do it. I mean, he did it in a very branding centric way where, where he said, like, the war on terror was a bad deal. We shouldn't be there. You know, we need to bring our jobs back here. We get horrible trade deals. We need to build the wall. I mean, he did it all very sound bites because his background in marketing. Um, but I think we need more conservatives, more Republicans that can actually say, hey, here is exactly how I want America to look. I want someone to be able to graduate high school, to be able to get a decent paying job that lets them support their family, because this is going to be a net positive for growing strong American families independent. I want one spouse to be able to stay home with the kids because I don't think kids should be raised um, in daycare or by the schools. I want to take all this unpatriotic garbage out of the schools. I want the kids to be taught a decent patriotic curriculum. It's going to give them basic skills. 
Um, I want our economy to be robust, strong, and independent, so we're not relying on any other country. I'm willing to use tariffs to do that. That's not an issue. I'm fine with corporate tax cuts as long as these corporations are actually doing something for the American people. I want us out of endless wars. I want us to judiciously use force when we have to, but always have a declared in-state. Immigration, I want an immigration policy that works for the American people. We will seal off the ability for illegals to get in here. We will aggressively go after illegals. And then we will cut out the ability for someone to come over here just to take an American's job. So uh, Republicans don't do that. Like some Republicans do. I think the America First movement does it. You hear a lot from Matt Gates, from MTG, uh, from some of the new firebrands. But Republicans, we have to get much better about saying exactly what we're going to do and then having a plan of doing it. I, I think the days of like, hey, I just have a soundbite for Fox News about how crazy the Democrats are doing and that being able to get people through the next election cycle. I kind of think those days are those days are actually ending. I think just for far too long, Republicans, they, they've, they've fallen back on that. And they've been really scared, too, because Republicans don't control the media. And it's so easy to call a Republican like a racist or a fascist or whatever. And then Republicans automatically go into defense mode, right? That's the last thing they ever want to get called. And they spend all this time explaining themselves or apologizing or saying, oh, we need to, be, we need yeah. to do more outreach to these communities. And <clears throat> I'm very sorry, as opposed to fighting for who their base is and articulating you know, what their actual vision is. Yeah, you know what, that last bit of what you just said, I think many of our elected representatives on both sides of the aisle have forgotten that they are the representatives of the people of their state. Like, I mean, I have such a simplistic uh, view of of the, the Congress and the Senate that like literally the job, and this is very simplistic view of it, but your job is to go to Washington and say the people of Washington District 3 State of Washington District 3 say, yay, nay, nay, yay, nay, nay. Like yep. this whole complex that you've, you've we've been talking about for an hour is it's it's gotten so out of control. And I hope that the average Joe American, the middle class, lower class, you know, upper middle class people are starting to see it. I hope, you know, I, I don't care how you, I mean, I care how you vote, but I, I want people to, we have to have two different, opinions in this country if, if everybody thought like you and i that doesn't work either nope. you have to have you have to have people on each side of the boat but we got to be rowing in the right direction and yeah. our country is forgotten but i i'm hoping the average american is just fed up like let's get new blood in there whether you're a democrat or a republican let's get new blood in there like yeah. clean this clean this place out like these people that I'll pick on her because I'm not a big fan of her, but Nancy Pelosi, like if mm -hmm. our country is systemically racist and broken and just a crap hole to live in and all these things, well, you, you've been in government, you've been, you did it. You've been in government for 112 <laughs> years. You yeah. Know? You and your yeah. husband were, were taking the soldier's water in the civil war. Good night. Uh, Joe, like Joe Biden said he's been in the Senate for 130 years. Right. So he's been yeah. in even longer. It wasn't much of an exaggeration. Yeah. I mean, and I, <laughs> I can't, it's, I mean, I, I'm getting all fired up, but I can't even, when people talk to you about this stuff, it's like, you think our country's broke? That's okay. I think some things are broken. You think our country's systemically racist. You think all these things, right? But then you're going to go for, vote for the guy that has been controlling the country for 50 years. Exactly. exactly. You know, it doesn't think, make sense. But you know why though, and this is a bigger problem. I think that, our education system has gone to hell. And oh. the reason that the reason we're having these issues now is because there have been a generation or two or three of kids that have gone through a lot of schooling and they can't read, they can't write. They're not being taught anything about civics. They're not being taught anything about the fundamentals of American history. They've essentially been brainwashed for a generation, if not longer, right? Maybe two or three generations. And, and that's really, that frightens me even more because as these younger people are coming up through the system, I mean, <laughs> they're graduating kids that can't read and write. Like how, how can you explain economics to someone that can't do math? Right. Like I, that's another thing that worries me. And I don't know how to fix that because that's a generational thing. You have to, yeah, I, that's, that's a whole nother issue we can get into, but I, that worries me because all the things we're talking about, you have to have a basic understanding of government. You have to have a basic understanding of, just civics in general. But if you don't even have that, I don't know how you have a conversation with someone who doesn't, who is, who's a hundred miles away. You know, you're not even talking the same thing. You know, it's, it's like you're on two different planets almost. 
Um, I think a lot of what the what the left is doing right now is they're able to run on like sheer ignorance. So many Americans just don't know basic civics. Like I, I went to college much later on in life, but coming out of high school in 1998, I understood what the three branches of government did. I understood why we right. had a constitution, and I was raised i went to portland public schools in portland oregon and there was definitely a left leaning to it but they still taught us basic civics but there's so many americans right now and you can tell based on how people reacted to the whole covid thing i mean when biden gets on tv and says like you have to get vaccinated otherwise people were like oh well the president said so therefore we have to do it like my governor he puts on these different like mandates and people are like well that's a law now and i'm like that's it's not a law, man. Like, I mean, there's that old whatever cartoon that we all watch. Like, I'm just a Bill on the Hill guy. Like, did people not see that? Like, you can't just get on TV as a leader and say, like, now hear me. This is a decree. Like, that's not, that's we we fought a revolution to get away from that style of government. And, and but there's so many people who who simply don't understand that. They think that the guy gets on TV and he says something because he's the leader. Like, no, there's an, there's an entire legislative process that happens here, you know? And, and I think the left really exploits that. I mean, so they they attack the foundations of America. They say it's all systemically racist. And so therefore they don't necessarily need to teach the system of how we're actually governed. And so now you have a bunch of people who don't know why we have a country, why it's unique, why you should be proud of it. But then they also don't know the nuts and bolts of like, how things actually happen. And that gives the permanent ruling class a amazing ability to just do whatever they want. They can yeah. make them walk all over the constitution and no one even knows they're walking all over it. Yeah. That's, that's Brian. A oh, I was I mean, say, Brian a, mentioned uh, 1984 before and there's a, and I'm going to misquote it. I don't have it sitting in front of me, but they, there's a line in there where the, the guy is talking about um, those who control the narrative control history. Like they're not teaching history. They're not teaching our no. kids you know, and, and it's very reminiscent yeah. of that book. If you haven't read that book, it's, it's, yeah. it's a very scary, uh, parallel. Right yeah. Parallel to what we're, what we're living right well, now. There's, there's a, another concept in that book that I think is, I mean, a lot of the book is scary when you compare it to what's happening, but one of the big things in 1984 is the ministry of truth. That's where Winston Smith works. And the whole, if you haven't read the book, the idea of the ministry of truth is it's basically the ministry of propaganda, right? Everything in the book is just opposite of what it really is. And Winston's job, the main character, is to adjust the newspaper to fit what Big Brother said in the past and make Big Brother look good. And there's another part of that called um, Newspeak, right, where Big Brother takes words out of the language that he doesn't like because the idea is if you don't have the words to express ideas that we don't like, then we can control you. And one of the examples I gave in the book was the Declaration of Independence could not be translated into Newspeak because of the concepts that it it described, right? And that when you think about, it, we're doing that. We're changing words. We're, we're we're changing the definition of words. We're changing the language because people don't like what it says. That I mean, that's that's frightening to me, and I don't understand why more people don't see that as a problem you know everything we talk about it, it it's all an issue but there's so many things like that where it's like do you not understand you like people are being people are manipulating you for their own good they want to control you yeah yeah and, and people don't see it and you know what the one real quick the one thing i want to talk about too is since you talk about the constitution the government closing down these businesses in my mind is a fourth amendment violation because you're essentially seizing a business you're telling a business you cannot operate you are not going to be allowed to generate income in your business. And yeah. I, I'm not a legal scholar, but that is, to me, seems hugely unconstitutional, right? You're, you're telling someone you can't operate a business because of, you know, I mean, okay, COVID, whatever, but without taking anything else into consideration, we're going to close your business down. You have no right to earn an income. And people, oh, okay, okay. And it, it's even worse out here in California. They, we reelected Gavin Newsom. And he, he was notorious for that, shutting down business for months, years on end. It was... It's crazy. Um, well, none of the major businesses closed. Like it was, it was very oh, yeah. systemic the way that they did. It was very systematic. It was like if you're a mom and pop entrepreneurs have a business, like you got to close. You must do what the government says. We will, we will send the goon squad after you. We'll find you in non-existence. If you're Walmart, hey, that's fine, man. Enjoy the new business. Yeah. Like <laughs> we, they yeah. just sort of think that they're going to gloss all over that. Like the largest transfer I, of wealth in American history. I said that here in Las Vegas. I said. When when we were in the the first uh, stages of you know lockdowns, control the curve, whatever, flatten the curve. I said, why are we leaving? Like, I get it. Walmart is the big bang, you know, Walmart, Target, whoever, right? But why 
if we're going to allow people to go shop at these large big box stores, why don't we let them be open on Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday through Friday, why don't we let the small business be open so that they can make some money too? say they make them close on Saturday and Sunday. So you don't have huge crowds in a smaller, you know, business, but I mean, it made sense to me, but I, you know, I, I'm no, nobody was listening, but uh, you know, it's like, I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, I do get it, but, it's, well, it's the whole, basically the, the ministry of truth that we have right now. Like they didn't even have to like make the attempt to make it look fair. They just had to say, like, well, this is the way it is. You'll do what we're told. Otherwise we'll say that you're, you're a super spreader event and you're spreading disinformation and you'll be canceled. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah. I, I think that breaking up big tech is, is essential as well, as far as a policy thing that we could do, like the way that big tech is weaponized information, denying people their freedom of speech, deplatform people. That's just a, that's that's another thing to preserve the republic. Like we have to get rid of those guys. I mean, they are. I was going to ask they, they you about that. If, let's, let's talk about that. I was going to yeah. ask you two 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 prong question, and and you can yeah. get into it as much as you want. One, has any of your social media and or YouTube channel and or whatever you have been censored because of of your beliefs? And then secondly, um, when when you do get to Washington. Are you going to be a part of any kind of movement to revoke those um, special considerations that those types of companies have? Like Section 230? Yeah. So I got I got my uh, YouTube um, deleted by, by YouTube. They said I violated their terms of service. Um, and then we we pushed back. We actually had some folks that know, knew the appeal process pretty well and gave us some good advice. So we, we got a hold of YouTube and they said, okay, we'll review your case. And they went back and they reinstated my account and they, they took down some videos. It, it was uh, clips from me on Steve Bannon's war room. Um, this is right as Bannon was getting uh, held in contempt by, by Congress for the whole January 6th thing. Um, so they, they took a few videos of me and Bannon off the air. Um, I mean, it seemed to me pretty, you know, pretty targeted, pretty pointed. They didn't, they didn't like, you know, what I was saying or whatever. I was kind of honored that they actually like were paying attention to little old me. I was like, Oh, okay. They have their attention. That's good. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool. I mean, Instagram's froze me up a couple of times. Like I don't, I haven't really, I mean, I, I can tell they're kind of throttling me. There's times where they won't let me like type text. So uh, Twitter's going okay so far. As far as when I, when I get to, to DC, I, I think at this point I would sign on to any section 230 reform. However, I think 230 is almost like it, it, it's not doing enough. I, I think we need to pretty much seize the infrastructure of the public utilities like a common carrier and make them a public utility that everyone has fair and free access to. Because I think at this point, like you can't exist without a digital presence and the ability for some oligarch just to press the button and delete you from existence. That's a monopoly like we've never had before in this country. Never. We, broke up, we broke up Standard Oil, Robert Barons, all that. We broke them up for way less. And so I think right now we have a very clear, you know, antitrust monopoly case to be made for that. And then just to make them a public utility to give every American, you know, fair and free access. I, I think I, I like that. And I, for anyone that's listening, I think what the equivalent it would be is if, AT&T back in the day, if they were listening to your phone calls and you said something on an AT&T phone line that they didn't like, if they just cut your service, right? Yeah. And that's essentially what's happening on the internet. Now, granted, the internet is more complex and you can provide video and everything else, but I, I think that's what we need to do because the idea that this company that's ubiquitous can take you down because they don't like what you say without consequence, it, it, it's insane. And especially when it has such a profound effect on elections and everything else, it. I think it's absolutely necessary. I, well, the, I, I'd like that. The crazy thing to me is, is that it's it's not a two way street. I I would actually listen to an argument that said we are going to take off any um, anything on on Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media that has to do with child pornography. We don't care if it's right, left, black, white. We don't care. I'd have that conversation, even though there's you know, the first amendment, but when it's, we just don't like what you say over here. Cause it's never child porn. <laughs> it's, know, and and I can go on, yeah. I, and I can go on Instagram right now and find naked children if I wanted to, but they're going to ban you. I was going to tell you, I, so I followed you a couple months ago when I met your brother, I followed you, I started following you on Instagram. You've never come up in my feed ever. I have to go search to see what, yep. you know, what, you know, I look today. I look That's what everybody says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, it, but for them, you know, for them, it's so transparent for them to sit there 
and preach their, oh, it's community guidelines and all this stuff. Like, but, but you're going to allow, you know, uh, Kathy, whatever her name is, to hold a severed head of the president of the United States and say, go out and kill the president. I mean, but, but you're going to take Joe Kent down because he said, you know, I don't like the economy. Like, hey, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's insane. It's an absolute clear and present violation of the Constitution of the United States. It, 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 the whole social media thing just boggles my mind why we let it happen. Exactly. It's yeah. crazy. Then the, the bigger question is, are these social media companies just trying to enforce their political beliefs or are they answering to a higher power, which I suspect may be China? Because they, it seems to me that a lot of these companies want access to the Chinese market and yeah. they seem more than willing to go along with the Chinese rules. So, uh, I mean, that, that, if for no other reason, the national, you could argue national security is like, we have to stop this. Yeah, 100%. Because this is China's access, or Russia, but probably China. This is China. China's access into each of our living rooms. Not only, it, it's really like the telescreen from 1984, not to keep harping on that, but they can see everything you do. And they know how to manipulate your thoughts and they know how to manipulate what you think and what you see and what you read. It's, it's nuts. It, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, but I, I, I really, I hope you can get that done. I, yeah. I, I think I it has to happen. But, so Joe, you're, you're, you're uh, we'll reiterate it. You're running for Congress in Washington district three state of Washington. Just uh, it's the district just North of Portland where you grew up. Um, I've read all your materials and stuff online and, and started to follow you and stuff. Is there, do you want to tell the listeners, you know, if there, if you could pick three things for your district specifically, I know you've got, um, you know, huge wildlife issues up there. You have, you know, multitude of issues uh, other than the Democrat Republican mess we're talking about. Is there something you want to tell you, you know, somebody that may be listening that is going to vote for you, you know, that is important to the people there. Do you want to highlight something? One of the biggest things, and this is up in our face more in Washington state because of our governor, I think, than other places in the country, although it's a national issue, too. The vaccine mandates, I mean, we have to have Congress take serious uh, measures against that. It should be completely and totally illegal for any employer, whether it's the federal government or a private entity, to dictate that you get a vaccine, in particular ones that are still in the experimental phase, like all the different COVID vaccines are right now. I don't care what the FDA says. I mean, there's all the there's all the arguments in the world to say that this is just absolutely morally and unconstitutionally uh, the the wrong way for us to go as a country. And right now, we need laws that protect individuals and protect not just our workers but also our kids. So I, I, I think man, a, a specific law against vaccine mandates is is absolutely essential. You know, another huge issue too is just our individual liberties and our individual freedoms, our ability to open our businesses back up. Cutting off all federal funding for these COVID restrictions is key. Jay Inslee loves locking our economy down. He's done that multiple times. As a federal, at, at the federal level, as a congressman, I can't stop a governor from doing that, but I can take away all the money that he gets from the federal government that aids him in doing that. So that's absolutely essential. I mean, really, after that, it's it's election integrity. I think we have major problems in Washington state. We had major problems with the election of 2020. We have to restore that faith. We have to restore really accountability to all of our institutions is a huge one. And then the America First economic agenda, specifically in Washington state, in the Pacific Northwest, our timber industry has been hollowed out for probably the past three decades. This was, this was an industry that used to provide a vital service for the American people. And it also used to generate lots of people, lots of jobs for folks. It created that environment where someone could leave high school and get a decent paying job. We need to use aggressive deregulation to bring that back, to bring back the mills, to revitalize our economy. Um, there's no reason why Washington state, especially if our ports right here in Southwest Washington, access to the Columbia, the Pacific Ocean, that we aren't a key timber, and I mean finished timber, not just exporting it to some other mill somewhere else, a key timber production and export hub for the whole country, and if not the world. Awesome. Well said, well Very said. Cool. Do you have a favorite... Uh, we kind of, we went over your military, you know, background, but do you have a favorite uh, Ranger School story or Q Corps story that you can share with us? We got a lot of veteran, veteran, a uh, lot of veteran community that follows and listens to us. So, so many, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think most of my ranger school stories are pretty typical of like me falling asleep at you know pretty much inappropriate times, and most of it just being a just being a boy or man. Uh, 
good Q-Core story. Um, you know, Robin Sage is, is pretty cool. It's, it's the final part of the Q-Course where you go and you, you take over a small North Carolina town and you get to play the gorillas and you, and you overthrow it. That was a really cool experience. So we actually got to do like a uh, an ambush out of a uh, fire truck. So one of our G chiefs like was a fire captain and we dressed up as firemen and like went into the, uh, we raided the city hall, which was pretty cool because that was like our final exercise. We put all of our, all of our little gorilla guys in fire fireman costumes and pulled up behind the thing and, and firemen get up and it was blanks. It was all, you know, all training, but it was still pretty rad taking down a, uh, a city, a city hall dressed up as firemen. I was like, man, this is pretty, I was like, I'm getting paid for this. This is pretty sweet. You know, I was like, all like Trojan horse. Yeah. I was like, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I'm the coolest guy in the world. 22 years old. You know, well, what did I know at that point? But yeah, that was a, a good experience, man. Really a lot of fun. That's cool. That's very cool. Well, That's very cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're busy. So, um, I, Joe, I mean, it, it, it's been a, a real pleasure to have you on the, on the show. Um, yes. I know there's so much more that we could have talked about and we just kind of glossed over your awesome, your amazing military career. So I hope that after you win, when you have some time, you're welcome back on the show anytime. We'd love to hear, um, your victory story. And then we'd love to hear some more military stories when you have the time and, you know, talk about yeah, what the future holds for you. So, um, it just, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate your time. And, um, Wish you the best of luck. Everything you're saying is awesome. We yeah. know you're going to be successful. Um, yeah. Thanks, so from, I was, thanks again. Um, but we'll sign off. So um, thanks again for uh, Ben. This is Brian and Joe signing off for the uh, Nothing Note podcast. Um, it was a real awesome episode. We will talk to you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye, everybody. Cool. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate